We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Chicago Bears select. Welcome to Picks for Pace, presented by the Bear Report. Your number one source for everything Chicago Bears draft news, analysis, scouting reports, and more. Presented by Blue Wire Pods. And now, making their way to the podium, Andrew Freeman and Usaid Koshal. Welcome to Picks for Pace, a Chicago Bears draft podcast presented by the Bear Report and Blue Wire Pods. My name is Andrew Freeman, and of course, I'm happy to be joined by my co-host, Usaid Koshal. Usaid, we are recording this episode on Thursday, October 14th, midway through October here following uh, that wild Bears victory, that an upset win over the Las Vegas Raiders uh, this Sunday. How are you doing today, man? I'm doing well. Obviously, the weather in Chicago's gotten much colder, so we're sitting here in hoodie and basketball <laughs> shorts. It's still hoodie and basketball shorts weather, but it's also still, um, yeah, the weather, like I said, man, it's interesting, which means that bear weather is right around the corner for those of our listeners that are outside of Illinois. All right, I'm going to tell you right now, bear weather, if, you, if you've ever experienced it, it's like you love and hate it at the same time. You love it because, I mean, Bears football's on pretty much every week, but then you also hate it because it means that you're waking up probably like 15 minutes earlier than you need to, to go out there and shovel the snow and, you know, turn the car and stuff on. But yeah, I'm doing well. How are you, man? Yeah, doing good. Not looking forward to necessarily uh, snow shoveling season, but, you know, I'll make the case that hoodie and shorts weather is the best that there is uh for a season and we're in that right now for a degree but hopefully it lasts a bit little bit longer with uh, the fall here but you know speaking of lasting a little bit longer you know let's talk about this bears on a little bit of a win streak here they're above 500 for the first time uh this year gained that win over the raiders 20 to 9 you know it was a defensive showdown for the most part during this game uh the bears they got up early with a 14 to 3 lead in the first half and from there uh, the defense was just fantastic in this game. You know, Justin Fields wasn't asked to do much. I think only had like 111 yards passing, but uh, they got the run game going in this one, uh, even without David Montgomery. And, uh, you know, Matt Nagy kind of alluded to this in his post-game press conference, but, you know, this is just a really nice team win uh, for this franchise as a whole, I felt like. 
Yeah, nice team wins a way to describe it. And I know that the Bears ended up winning 20 to 9, so they won by 11 points. But really what it was is a tough, gritty win. And again, we the Bears effectively, I mean, it's like you mentioned, they jumped out to a 14 to 3 lead. But also you saw in the second half, the Raiders fought back as much as they could. And really, when I say this was a tough, gritty win, I think that tough, gritty wins are becoming a theme of the Matt Nagy era in the sense that the Bears are going to go out there. They're going to have to fight, scratch and claw their way for every single first down, every single touchdown. Granted, Justin Fields had his first passing touchdown in this game. Damian Williams ran for another score. Khalil Herbert the sixth-round rookie from Virginia Tech who has emerged as a really hard runner. He's going to move forward here in the Packers week as RB1 with Damian Williams on the reserve slash COVID-19 list. But, it, again, it was a tough, gritty win. And I think one of the things that sticks out to me in this game is that the Bears had a drive in the fourth quarter. It was 10 plays, 57 yards, took about 6-16 off the clock. There were a lot of good plays on that because it is on that play or I'm sorry, that specific drive where on, I believe it was a third and nine fields, or I'm sorry, third and 12 at the Bears 27 fields kind of dropped back. He hit Darnell Mooney, not necessarily in triple coverage, but if you saw the film in the all 22, there were about three Raiders defenders right around Mooney. And if you watch that play from the broadcast angle, but then also the all 22 angle, you see that the ball is out before Darnell Mooney is even beginning his break, which speaks to Justin Fields ball placement along with his accuracy now the big issue with the two drives in the fourth quarter were that and that includes this 10 play one is that the bears only got a field goal out of it right and at that point they were leading the raiders basically 14 to 9 i think that it gets to a point where it's just like one of the things the bears need to move or work on moving forward here is the ability to basically put team teams away because the next time that this team takes the field and the next two opponents are green Bay and Tampa Bay, they're not going to be playing the Oakland Raiders or Detroit Lions. So field goals, aren't going to get it done. What's going to get it done is being able to finish off drives in the fourth quarter with touchdowns. Yeah. We're going to need to see this offense uh, be a lot more explosive and, and to capitalize on opportunities getting in the end zone, like you said, moving forward, because you know, the Raiders, they've been pretty solid so far this year, but it's only going to get tougher from here. You got Green Bay coming up next week, which we'll talk about a little bit at the end. Uh, then Tampa Bay, San Francisco, uh, some really tough opponents. The Ravens coming up soon as well. It's a brutal stretch for this Bears team coming up. Uh, but, you know, with that said, you have to enjoy the wins when you get them. And uh, this is certainly a game where I thought we saw a lot of growth out of Justin Fields. You know, I thought the timing on a lot of his dropbacks was there. Uh, he was getting the ball out of his hands quickly um, at times, you know, passed up on a, on a couple of things where I felt like he had some chances to, to make some shots down the field. But we also saw, you know, that one beautiful deep ball he threw to Marquis Go and that fell incomplete. You know, you see the flashes of what he can be. And of course, uh, that, that touchdown the Jesper Horstead was a thing of beauty, uh, rolling out to his right, taking the hit, um, throwing an accurate ball to the Horstead to get him open, to throw him open. Um, that, that's just stuff that we typically don't see from a Bears quarterback, and, and it was special to watch. You know, Justin Fields took a beating in this game. You know, uh, the Raiders really got after him. They have a really nice pass rush, one of the best in the NFL, led by Max Crosby. So it was going to be a tough task, and again, while the Bears coaching staff did not ask Justin Fields to do a ton, when they needed him to step up at the end of the game, like he kind of said, with, with that third down conversion and then the throw to Cole Komet on the very next play, Justin Fields did step up, and he made plays when they needed him to. So those are things you like to see from the rookie, and we'll just see if he can just continue to build off of that uh, moving forward over the next couple of weeks leading into the bye. 
Uh, moving on from the Bears here, though, uh, this is a good opportunity to get to some to some of the action that we saw from college football this past weekend because we have a lot to get to today uh, in regards to that. Uh, we're going to be having a special guest later on in the podcast, you know, Aaron Lemming, uh, writer for us here at the Bear Report. He's on the podcast, Bear Report podcast with Zach. Um, he, we were lucky enough to get him on the podcast today to talk a little bit about Oklahoma football with that crazy game against Texas this past weekend and Spencer Rattler getting benched uh, really one of the biggest uh, events of this past weekend. But, you know, there was a lot that went down this weekend. Uh, you know, the two main things that we saw outside of that Oklahoma game, you know, Alabama going down here, losing to Texas A&M 41 to 38. Uh, it was a game where, you know, they got down 17 to seven in the first quarter and, and they, they were had to claw their way back throughout the rest of the game. They made it close at the end, but Texas A&M getting a huge win there in the upset and then a big game in the big 10. We talked about it in our last podcast as well, kind of previewing it a little bit, but Iowa beating Penn state uh, coming from behind again for them, 23 to 20. Uh, they had 10 unanswered points in the fourth quarter. The defense really stepped up near the end of that game for Iowa you know, you say, what were some of your main takeaways from this past weekend of college football? Because a lot happened. And, you know, th this college football playoff conversation, it's as wide open as I think it's ever been ever since they really started this. Well, wide open is the perfect word to use because when you look at the top four teams, I mean, okay, look, you know, you pretty much have Iowa and Georgia in there. And I think at this point in time, I know we're sitting here in mid-October playoff is still a ways away, but it's also a foregone conclusion that Iowa and Georgia should be in the college football playoff. Now the other two spots are complete toss-ups, but it's just like, you look at this. I mean, there was kind of, a week of just more fun, but also crazy upsets because like you talk about that Oklahoma, Texas game. Okay. So that wasn't an upset, but Hey, we saw something significant in that game that we're going to get into later with a player that everyone thought was going to be a first overall pick in the 2022 NFL draft effectively get benched and possibly might not see the field again for Lincoln Riley's Oklahoma Sooners. And then on the other hand, you look at it. I mean, Hey, the Iowa Penn state game, like you mentioned, was really thrilling. And then, Michigan basically beating Nebraska. I thought that was good. But the big one that sticks out to me and the one that no one or that everyone's going to continue talking about is 21st ranked Texas A&M beating fifth ranked Alabama by basically three points. I think the score was appears closer than it really was because Alabama was not necessarily in that game the entire time. But also you look at it, I mean, hey, Texas Tech jumped out to an early lead where I believe the score was like, 31 or 24 to base, yeah, 24 to 10 was a score at halftime in favor of Texas A&M. And I think a lot of people, when they look at the Aggies, they're just like, okay, whatever. They're the 21st ranked team in the nation. They're some ways you could say they're kind of an afterthought in what is a very loaded SEC conference every single year. But then the other half, I don't think that everyone's talking about. And that's just based on how closely you follow the NFL draft or not because college football feeds into the NFL draft is this Texas A&M team in a lot of ways you could argue it's no joke because when you talk about preseason projections and you talk about teams that do have multiple first round picks I mean hey Texas A&M is one of them that's going to be sending at least five or six first round prospects to the NFL in 2022 so this roster right here I think it's no joke and guess what I think that 
overall, you look at Texas A&M, I mean, Zach Calzada is now going to become a national sensation. But then Isaiah Spiller, the running back there, I mean, he only averaged 2.7 yards per carry. But guess what? That's a player that is a really dynamic playmaker for that Aggies offense. Same thing with running back Aeneas Smith. I mean, you have tight end Jalen Windermeyer, who averaged about, he's average like 25 tight end or 25 receptions, sorry, 25 yards per reception as I minced my words there. So the point is, is that this Aggies roster came out and battled hard and yeah, it did go down to the wire, but credit to Calzada for really giving his team a chance to basically be in the game, even when they were up by 14 points at halftime. Yeah, the stats weren't too gaudy for Calzada, but you know, he was pretty efficient this one, 21 to 31, 285 yards, three touchdowns. He did have that one interception. Um, but you know, it was well enough to get the win for uh this Texas AM team. And on the opposite side for Alabama, you know, Bryce Young, I thought he had some struggles early. Certainly the stats they look better than I thought the overall product was from him this one. You know, he threw for uh almost 370 yards and three touchdowns, but he had that interception this game. And, you know, 28 of 48 passing, you know, not the most efficient uh, performance overall for Bryce Young here. So, uh, you know, it was one of those things, you know, going into this year where I thought Alabama, you know, if they could figure out some things on offense that they were going to be down it once again. And they, they looked the part early in the year. Um, but, man, this college football season has been wild so far. There's just been a lot of ups and downs. It's just been a roller coaster uh, with the way that this has gone. And, you know, we'll see how this shapes up. Uh, the college football playoff moving forward because I think Iowa, now that they got their win, they're going to be, uh, you know, locked into this top four, assuming that they can finish off strong in the Big Ten and, and maintain that dominance there uh, because they, they certainly have the defense for it as well. I mean, that defense is really good for Iowa. Um, and, you know, Georgia, speaking of defense, uh, Georgia's – their defense is ridiculous this season so far. I mean, you talk about, uh, you know, having talent in the front seven, the linebacker position, the secondary, they got it all – at Georgia and they're when those two teams, Alabama and Georgia play later on in the year, uh, that's going to be a really fun game to watch uh, when they get to the sec championship. Cause I'm assuming it's going to be uh, those two teams in the sec championship. And that's going to be, that's going to be something to watch with two really talented programs on the, de- the defensive side of the ball. And, you know, that fourth spot, you know, Oklahoma, they got the win uh, on, on Saturday, but, you know, that four spot is going to be up for grabs. So we'll end up seeing, you know, who ends up taking the crown for that spot. You know, it could be Penn State. Maybe they work their way back in. But college football playoff, it, it's going to be down to the wire, I think, this year, especially when compared to previous years. And we'll just have to be along for the ride because, you know, it's there's going to be some ups. There's going to be some downs. There are going to be some teams that, you know, may surprise us late. But I think that's all for the better for college football. Because, you know, it's it's usually been, you know, Alabama, Clemson, and maybe Oklahoma, surprise, you know, has a really good team. And that's about it when it comes to the college football playoff conversation. And, you know, the fourth team is kind of whatever. This year, it, it certainly feels a lot more wide open, like a lot of more teams and a lot more programs have chances. And we'll just see what happens with that moving forward here. All right. I think that's a good time for us to, to uh, transition to the main topic of our podcast today. And that's getting to our interview with Aaron Lemming. We were lucky enough again to uh, sit down with them and discuss some Oklahoma football. Very timely considering uh, what just went down for them this past weekend. So without further ado, here is our interview and conversation with Aaron Lemming. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate 
isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, and now joining us here at the Picks for Pace podcast is none other than our teammate here at the Bearport, Aaron Lemming. Aaron, thanks for jumping on the pod today. How are you doing, man? Absolutely, man. Doing doing well. It's almost Friday, so can't really complain. How about you guys? Yeah, I'm doing well. Um, it's been a crazy eventful week, but we're just gonna have Aaron on here. You know, we know you do some work with Bear Report, obviously, on the Bear Report podcast. We know you do work with um Windy City Gridiron, but I don't think a lot of people know that you're also a big University of Oklahoma football fan. So the Sooners have been up to a lot of stuff here, but I'm gonna hand it off to Andrew here. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, our, our listeners know you're uh, big time you know, on, uh, you know, Bear Report podcast with Zach, uh, writing for the Bear Report, as well as Windy City Gridiron. But like like you said, said, uh, it sounds like you're a big Oklahoma fan if anyone follows you on Twitter. But, you know, first <laughs> of all, just to start off here, uh, tell us a little bit about that, because, you know, being a Bears fan at, and Oklahoma fan, uh, kind of an interesting combination there. So how did you become an Oklahoma fan and, you know, how, how did that kind of all start? So it's basically kind of two sectors of the family, right? Um, so, you know, on my, on my dad's side and really my entire dad's side of the family is all from Oklahoma. So and when I say Oklahoma, I don't mean like Oklahoma City or Tulsa or any of the, you know, the decent sized places. I'm talking like Henrietta and some of these other areas that are like 2000 people, you fall is a little bit bigger. So I don't know, man, honestly, like it, it's kind of ironic because I actually hated going to Oklahoma. I used to go to Oklahoma all the time during the summers to go visit family and always just absolutely hated it. I hate Oklahoma and there's nothing there. It's just not fun. But after a few summers of being there, it was just like, you know, we, it was always Oklahoma football. Right. And sometimes we'd go when the, when the season would actually start and never actually got to go to a game in Norman, but it just kind of stuck, you know, and then you, you go to any of the, any of the malls over there, anything, and it was just all Oklahoma stuff. And it just kind of wore off. It took me a little bit. I won't lie. Cause there for a while, I didn't really particularly care for college football. So I was probably like, I don't know, 11 or 12. And then things kind of got good and they overtook uh, Nebraska at the time. And then they won that national championship against Florida state. And it's just kind of been that thing ever since it's really kind of been my dad and I's bond has been sports. So yeah, it just kind of happened it's weird. I'm originally from California, but I don't really particularly care for any California teams. So somehow I'm just spread out in the kind of the mid area of <laughs> the U.S. when it comes to sports teams. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly interesting. So we want to start this off talking about Oklahoma and Spencer Rattler, because 
headlines were made. I mean, you got the Red River rivalry going on. Spencer Rattler gets benched at one point in the game. I mean, going into the year, what were your expectations for Spencer? And with just him kind of leading the charge, because a lot of people, it felt like throughout June, July, August, did have Rattler pegged as the QB1 for the 2022 NFL draft. Yeah, well, you know, and that's kind of the tough thing, right? Because even last year when he stepped in, you know, after Jalen Hurts left, because that's the thing is like being an Oklahoma fan, especially as of late under Lincoln Riley, he had Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, and Jalen Hurts. And all three of those guys in the NFL, obviously two of them were number one overall picks. And then the second one in Jalen Hurts was a second round pick. So you have a pretty good basis of what the offense is supposed to look like with Lincoln Riley. And you also have a pretty good basis of what a good quarterback looks like. And I think some of it was, you know, coming into last year, I think some of it was Spencer Rattler's build is a little bit different of a quarterback. A lot of people had said that his athleticism was more like Kyler Murray versus, you know, realistically his athleticism is more like Baker Mayfield, which is nothing wrong with that. Baker Mayfield had a great, you know, great Oklahoma career. I mean, he basically walked on, won the job and, you know, the rest is history, but I think really the, the, the issue last year was, is he started off really inconsistent, right? And Oklahoma's offense for, you know, a lot of people think when they think, you know, especially college offenses, they think everything's just fast paced. Everything's fast paced. There's a ton of, you know, deep passes. Everything's just through the air. And the reality of it is with, uh, with Lincoln Riley's offenses, they like to run the ball a lot. And they've always had a really good offensive line. So last year they had a good offensive line. Uh, the running game wasn't quite as good until Ramondre Stevens came back. And coincidentally, that was also when Spencer Rattler was up and down. So if you go back to last year at the, uh, the Texas game, you know, same exact game as what we just saw this last week, Rattler was benched. Rattler struggled. He's been up and down. He gets benched. He comes back in, in the second half, and then all of a sudden he's a completely different quarterback. Uh, you know, but the other, again, the other big thing with that, especially with the offense was they got Ramondre Stevens back from the suspension and their run game got built, you know, and, you know, so it was one of those situations where everything looked a lot better last year, but there was also a lot of questions as, okay, this guy's a five-star recruit. Uh, you know, he was on the QB one thing. He didn't really come off that great there. He ended up, I can't even remember what it was. He like left, he got booted out of school or left school. There was never really an explanation. Then he comes on kind of inconsistent and then he picks it up. So everybody's expecting, you know, Spencer Rattler is going to be, you know, the, the odds on the Heisman favorite this year, all this stuff. And then all of a sudden it gets to the season and you're starting to see the same exact Spencer Rattler that we saw last year before he got benched. And I, you know, it's just, it, it's one of those things where it's really hard to pinpoint exactly what it is, but I think the best thing, the best way to describe it is just inconsistent, right? It's just, there's a lot of inconsistencies within his game. And again, you know, there, there needs to be context put on this and the fact that Oklahoma's offensive line has been terrible this year. I mean, this is the first year in probably the last seven or eight years that I can remember that their offensive line has just not been good at all. I mean, they have always had consistently good offensive lines. And I think the other thing to keep in mind too, is the fact that they have two, uh, well, I guess now three, because Marcus Major came back. But for the majority of the season so far, they've only had two scholarship running backs. Um, you know, they had a, a decent amount of transfers, and that kind of started off last year with uh, Trey Sermon as well. But they didn't really have the running back depth. So they've been very uh, conservative running the ball because they were a little worried about, you know, what happens if Kennedy Brooks goes down? What happens if uh, Eric Gray goes down? Um, and so we've kind of seen more reliance on Spencer Rattler to be a passer. And now we're starting to see a lot of the same issues uh, that we saw last year. Do you think, because, you know, Creed Humphrey was a guy that was in the draft circles a lot last year and he was a center for Oklahoma. 
I don't know how many years. It seems like he was there forever at Oklahoma. Just five. You know, an anchor. Five <laughs> an anchor in the middle for them. And you talk about the center being an anchor for your offensive line. And that, that's kind of what Creed Humphrey was. Do you think losing him in particular was maybe a huge, a huge loss for that offense as a whole because, and really affected uh, Rattler this season, because when you have a guy that you can rely upon at center, I mean, that's where the pivot point is for uh, your offense as a whole outside of just with the quarterback position. So do you think that plays into it at all there uh, with, you know, the way that this offense has kind of functioned so far this yeah. year? Absolutely. I mean, they have a few returning guys on their line from last year. It's not like this is a brand new configuration of the line. So I think that has absolutely something to do with it. And I think the other side of this too, is that I think we're starting to see minor, but we're starting to see some of the holes within the philosophy and the overall offense of Lincoln Riley, when you don't have everything going for you, when you don't have five scholarship running backs, when you don't have an all-star offensive line where you returned, I think it was like four or five, I think it was four of the five starters, uh, two straight years. I mean, cause that's what a lot of people forget. Creed Humphrey was a fifth year senior, right? So he was able, he was draft eligible the last, I think it was two or three years. And a lot of people expected him to come out, uh, you know, this last year. And then obviously he didn't, and he came out in the 2021 draft. Uh, so, yeah, I think that definitely has something to do with it because now you're kind of looking at, you know, the, the different guys that they've had start um, on the offensive line, some of the injuries that they've had. And a lot of these guys are unknown. And the one constant has always been Creed Humphrey. And, you know, maybe this is a little bit of bias on my part, but I actually thought, you know, a little bit positional value, but I thought he could have been a first round pick. I, I mean, he was right up there. He was always, he was actually projected going into the 2020 draft when they thought he was going to come out. He was actually a projected top 15, top 20 pick. So, yeah, I, I absolutely think that has something to do with it because again, the offensive line has been one of, if not their biggest issue this year as a whole, when you're just looking at all the different things that are going on outside of Spencer Rattler. So quick question about Rattler here, but this 2022 quarterback class is a complete toss up. It's not like years past where the last two years, I mean, we know we there's like Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields or the year before that kind of had Justin Herbert and everyone's eyes were on two attack of Iloa. But where did you have Rattler ranked before the season began compared to other guys in this class, like Sam Howell, Matt Coral, Carson strong from Nevada. And then going into this Texas game, was this meeting like the bar for Spencer Rattler or did he just fall a bit short for you? So as far as draft expectations, and that's kind of the tough thing because, you know, it, again, I think a lot of the question, at least for me moving into this year with Oklahoma was which Rattler are you going to get? You know, it's not very often that you see a guy, especially to his caliber. I mean, he's a flying star recruit. I mean, we're not talking about some random dude that came in, and, you know, won the job and they're trying to figure out what they've got. I mean, this guy was a five-star recruit. He was a top dual threat quarterback uh, out of his recruiting class out of high school. So it's never really a good sign when you see a guy get benched and have to come back in. So in terms of overall expectations, you know, into the season before everything happened, I would say top three, but I don't, I, I definitely wouldn't give it one. And it's like you pointed out, I, I think the one thing about it is, is this, this draft class and who knows, again, you know, we, we always, everybody loves, especially with quarterbacks, everybody loves to put a label on something way before everything happens. I mean, every year we've seen over the last, what, three or four years, you got, you know, there's always some quarterback that comes in or Zach Wilson, Joe Burrow, the list goes on. Uh, but it's one of those things, at least for me, uh, not that I haven't been a fan of Spencer Rattler, but I've always had my doubts with him. Um, as far as, you know, this, this benching and, and just the overall performance, I mean, this is something that's been permeating all year. I mean, he really, 
even from the first game there, you know, it's, it's just one of those situations where he, he constantly, he constantly makes the same mistakes. And I think that's one of the biggest issues. Uh, even when he was getting protection, he trusts his arm too much. You know, it's almost kind of like Jay Cutler where Jay Cutler would just make those throws where you're like, what are you doing? Like, what are you thinking? Where are you looking? What did you see on that play to make you think that you could fit that ball in? And that's a lot of Spencer Rattler because the dude is highly talented. And, you know, he's got crazy arm strength. He's, he's solid in terms of, you know, mobility. He's solid. He's nothing too special, but he's definitely not, a, not one of those guys that you have to just sit in the pocket. But again, I think a lot of it just comes down to the mental aspect. And it's something that I have not been able to put my finger on with him all year. And even going back to last year where <clears throat> things click and then they don't. And you see these, you see these moments where, you know, things just look too big to him. And I think <clears throat> the biggest issue, at least for me this year, outside of the inconsistencies that has really kind of made me, you know, kind of hit the brakes and say, okay, what the heck is going on is just how bad he is under pressure. And I think that was really magnified within this Texas game when, when Caleb Williams steps in and this dude, you know, and it started off with, you know, the run and, you know, he takes off on the run on the fourth down and obviously gets a touchdown. But then when he actually gets in the game as a quarterback and you start seeing him make these throws and the offensive line didn't get any better. It's not like the offensive line magically got better and he had a bunch of time. Like, but Caleb Williams knew what he was doing in the pocket. Anytime he got pressure, he was able to make throws or he's able to scramble out. And I think that was one of the things with Spencer Rattler that just never really seemed to click for him is the fact that anytime that he got pressure and he got flushed out of the pocket, he found himself always falling to the arm side. He was always going to the right of the field and he was always in it. And it's one of those things where obviously anytime you roll out to a certain side of the field, you're usually cutting the field in half. The issue with Spencer Rattler was always that he's not cutting the field in half. He's cutting the field to just one fourth in the field. And that's kind of one of the things. And he started kind of pigeonholing himself. And it was something he could never really get out of. And it was just, it was weird. It was, it was nice because I've been wanting to see Caleb Williams, but it was also really weird to see a true freshman quarterback step in and have more poise in the pocket, making throws and being confident facing pressure than a guy like Spencer Rattler, who's basically a, you know, a one plus year start at this point. I, I just think that speaks to the two different mentalities. We're, we're talking two five-star quarterbacks here. We're talking two of the best quarterbacks that come out in their respective uh, recruiting classes. And one of these guys has never really played in a, in a college game before. And keep in mind also, uh, Caleb Williams didn't play high school football at all last year because of COVID. So this dude hasn't stepped on a football field and played real football in over a year. And he was able to step in in a huge rivalry game, have poise in the pocket, make a bunch of crazy throws, be able to get out of the pocket, use his athleticism and be smart about it. Versus a guy like Spencer Rattler, who had been there before, had been benched in the last game versus Texas. There's just, there's, there's a lack of disparity from a mental aspect, at least in my opinion. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. So that's actually a good way to kind of segue to my next question here I had for you to talk about this uh, Oklahoma-Texas game a little bit. It was one of the biggest games from last weekend. You know, we talked about it on our podcast, uh, you know, the Red River Rivalry. 
uh, showdown here. And I, I think the game overall, when you look at this thing, it, it lived up to the hype from an entertainment standpoint. Um, you know, for those that missed the game, Texas was up for most of this and Oklahoma, they were able to rally behind Caleb Williams, like you said, Aaron, um, coming back for that 55 48 win after Rattler got benched. Um, and like we've said a couple times here, this wasn't the first time Rattler's been benched before against Texas. Um, so, you know, Aaron, from watching that game closely, you know, what do you think went into that decision? You kind of alluded to some of the de- decision making uh, issues that Rattler had. I mean, he had a couple of really backbreaking turnovers in this game that uh, got Oklahoma behind, it seemed like. So, you know, what do you think Lincoln Riley was thinking with that decision here? And obviously it worked for them because they won the game. But, you know, what was really Rattler's downfall in this game in particular that really led to that decision? Well, I think you nailed it. I think the biggest thing was turnovers, man. He had he had the one, and that was the thing. If if you go back and you watch the game, you know Texas went up seven nothing on the first offensive play, and it was just it was just a little little screen, and the guy breaks it and, and, and takes it in for the touchdown. And then, you know, right out of the gate, they go three and out and they have a block punt. And all of a sudden it's 14 to nothing. But then Oklahoma gets back in the game. It was 14-7 at one point. They get the ball back. Their defense makes a stop. They start marching the ball down the field again. All of a sudden, Spencer Rattler throws the interception. So then it goes from 14 to seven and they're driving the tie of the game around midfield to all of a sudden it's 28 to seven. And they finally start getting back in the game again around midfield going the other way. And then all of a sudden Spencer Rattler, again, you know, lacking, at least in my opinion, poise in the pocket. And the other issue that he has is really just his spatial awareness in the pocket is something else that is, is, is always really lacked. And he ended up pummeling the ball. And again, it was a turnover. So it's like any, there's two times that they finally got momentum back and, you know, being an Oklahoma fan and having watched this team, it's really hard to count them out of any game, especially especially in these rivalry games, right? It's just it just it's one of those situations where even the entire time I'm sitting there thinking, it's like, man, this is a really bad look. But at the same time, you know, once Oklahoma gets rolling offensively, you know, their defense usually follows behind. But you know, when you have those two critical turnovers like that, it just it absolutely takes the air out of everything. And not to mention, I mean, their offense just wasn't moving the ball. I mean, it's just really as simple as that. And it's like, but after that second turnover, and that was kind of the thing, they finally started moving the ball again. He fumbles the ball. They lose it around midfield, leads to another score. And it's like all of a sudden they're down and they bring in Caleb Williams. And I think that was kind of the thing, because if you if you flash back to last year, Spencer Rattler was taken out in the second quarter, but then he came back in, you know, the second half. And I think part of that was because, you know, God bless him, but Tanner Mordecai is not a very good quarterback. You know, there's a reason, there's a reason that he transferred out. And I think there's a reason, and I could be wrong, but I don't think he's starting where he's at. I can't even remember where he went, but Tanner Mordecai and Caleb Williams are not comparable, you know, in terms of overall prospects, in terms of overall quarterbacks as a whole, uh, you know, and Caleb Williams comes in and all of a sudden they start moving the ball. And it's like, and again, it's, it's kind of the same situation, you know, with like, let's just say Andy Dalton versus Justin Fields with the bears. Like, you know, that you're probably going to get a more, uh, you know, probably a more seasoned game plan, a more consistent game plan with a more proven quarterback. But at the same time, you know, Caleb Williams and Justin Fields both have that wow factor. They both have that newness to them. They both have the ability to make, you know, the crazy throws and the big plays. And that's exactly, that's the thing is Spence Rattler may have a great arm. So does Caleb Williams. I mean, we saw that, we saw that two times in the game uh, that, you know, that one throw to Marvin Mims in the end zone was insane. I, I, I don't even know. I mean, and again, that's, that's a throw that Spencer Rattler can make, uh, physically, but in terms of, you know, what he had to do to even make that play, I think there was just so many, there were so many moments in that game where, 
you saw similar similarities, more the point, to uh, Spencer Rattler in the first half when he had the ability to make plays and he was either throwing the ball away or rolling out way too far to the sideline and, again, cutting the field in the quarters. And then you see a guy like uh, Caleb Williams coming into the game and he was actually making plays. So, yeah, but I think I, I think that second fumble, or the, or the second turnover and the, the, the fumble was really what did him in. And, you know, again, I, I think the big difference between this year and last year, one was the fact that he was already on a second chance and that was kind of it. But also the fact that it wasn't Tanner Mordecai, it was, it was Caleb Williams. I mean, Caleb Williams is this team's future over the next few years anyway. The moment wasn't too big for him. He showed enough at the end of the first half where Lincoln Riley said, all right, we're going to ride the hot hand. So is this it for Spencer Rattler? I mean, who's starting for this Oklahoma team going forward at the quarterback position? And then how do you think this benching midway through the season impacts Rattler's draft stock? Well, I think as far as what's going to go on, I, I think Caleb Williams is absolutely going to make the start this week. And, you know, obviously Riley reserves the right to change his mind at any time. And I think that's definitely worth keeping in mind. But I think as long as Caleb Williams continues to progress the offense, I think he's going to be the starting quarterback. And at this point in time, and I, and I feel bad, don't get me wrong, I feel bad for Spencer Rattler. I feel bad for the kid. I mean, we're, we're talking, you know, he was pretty much, you know, I would say a general consensus of probably the number one overall pick moving into, in, into the season. And he goes from that to being benched, you know, and that kind of leads into your next question is, to, you know, how is this going to affect his draft stock? I think the big thing to keep in mind, he's a redshirt, he's a redshirt sophomore. I mean, this is a guy that could easily transfer out at the end of the year, end of the transfer portal, go somewhere else, and he could play for the next two years elsewhere, right? He doesn't have to come out of the draft. I think he would be absolutely out of his mind to come out of the draft this year, regardless of what happens. I, I just think there's so much inconsistency right now that let's just say, hypothetically speaking, Caleb Williams gets hurt or something happens. Lincoln Riley changes his mind and, he, and Rattler starts and he goes on and he plays like he did at the end of last year. There's still going to be a lot of doubts in the, in, in the minds of a lot of these talent evaluators to say, okay, well, which Rattler are we getting? And I, I think that's kind of a big thing. So really, I think what's going to end up happening, and I could be wrong, and his dad said that he has no plans of transferring this year. And I, and I think that's smart because you never know when this opportunity is going to come again. I mean, it literally one play. I mean, we've seen it how many times we saw it with Andy Dalton and Justin Fields. You know, we could sit there and pound the table saying, we want to see Justin Fields start. We want to see Justin Fields play. And a knee injury, and all of a sudden it happens. It's the same exact concept for Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams is a, you know, he's a, he's a bigger kid. He, but he's an athletic kid. He's somebody who runs a lot. He's going to take hits. Injuries happen. It is what it is. So I, I think that ultimately what will end up happening with Rattlers, I think he's going to end up sticking around until the end of the year. Um, at that point, again, you know, I, if, if Williams hangs on to the job the rest of the year and looks good, it's going to be his job. I think it was going to be his job in 2022 regardless. And at that point, I think Spencer Rattler will transfer out. I think the biggest question is going to be, you know, if you can't make it work in Lincoln Riley's offense with the last three quarterbacks that he's had being drafted in the first two rounds of the draft, who are you going to make it work with? You know, and that's, and I, I think that's going to be the bigger question. That's why I feel so bad for the kid because, you know, you go from, you know, th this decision, at least in the short term, cost him millions of dollars. This, him being benched cost him millions of dollars because I, I mean, I think you guys can both agree that, you, you bench a guy like this and let's just say he doesn't play the rest of the year. There's no way he's going to be the number one overall pick. I think at this point, he'd be lucky to be a first, he'd be lucky to be a first round pick at this point. I just don't think it really benefits him to come out of the draft, but 
it's a tough situation. I, I feel bad for him. I, you know, I feel bad for his family. It, it's going to be an interesting situation to watch moving forward. But I think as long as Caleb Williams continues to stay healthy, and if he shows 80% of what he showed against Texas, I don't see how they're going to, they're going to make a switch a quarterback because their offense has struggled all year up until Caleb Williams stepped in. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting what happens from here, especially with Rattler's situation. You know, if he transfers out at the end of the year, if he decides to declare for the NFL draft. And I agree with you, Aaron. You know, when Rattler was one of those guys I was looking forward to watching going into the year, I, I personally had him as my my top quarterback going into the 2022 class. I was one of those as, one of those guys as well that kind of felt like he was going to be above the rest and put himself above the rest uh, in this class. That Again, it's being kind of hyped up as being a little bit, definitely weaker than uh, this past class we got where you, know, you have guys like Trevor Lawrence, just fields, Trey Lance, a lot of guys that we kind of knew were going to be pretty damn good. And we've kind of seen that um, those flashes from these guys early on in their NFL careers. So to see Rattler struggle like this, it is, it's, it's a bit worrisome to where he will fall eventually. Cause like you, you said before, Aaron, he, he's got all the talent in the world. And, you know, if he can just put it together mentally with the decision-making and the consistency, I think a lot of NFL teams are going to be intrigued by that. But at the end of the day, you have to put it on, the, you have to produce when you get on the field. And that's just one of the things that, that has to be keep, kept in mind here. And you can't just bank on the traits all the time, especially at the quarterback position. There's so much more that goes into it than just uh, the physical talent that you possess uh, on the field. All right. So, so last question I have for you here, Aaron, um, shifting a little bit away from the Rattler conversation more towards this Oklahoma team as a whole, you know, where do you think this team stands right now midway through the year or about midway through the year? I think they were ranked six going into the Texas game. Um, I, I would have to look back at where they rank now, but, you know, do you think this team is still a, a playoff contender? And if they end up going with Caleb Williams here to end the season, uh, you know, where do you think their chances are to get into that top four uh, with the college football playoff? Well, you know, that's kind of been the, the Lincoln Riley signature since he's taken over for Bob Stoops is they always somehow, they always lose a game at the beginning of the year. And it's always one of those, you just, you're in survival. Oklahoma never looks good the first four or five games of the season. I don't know why it happens every single year. I mean, you can go back to the year that they lost to, they lost to Houston the first game. They won a second game. I can't remember who they played. And then they lost to Ohio State the next, you know, the, the next game after that. They started off one and two and that sunk their entire season. And you can go back even to last year. I mean, they had the they had the game against uh, you know against Kansas State that they lost. Uh, you know, the, the Iowa State as well. So, I, I think the big thing right now is they have to find offensive consistency. And you know, again, I think as a whole, this team's actually been very very disappointing so far because you know all the talk for as much as you know the offense is always a talk within the Big Twelve and within Oklahoma, all the talk has been on the defense side of the ball. Alex Grinch, their defensive coordinator, is a guy that came from Ohio State. And it's really turned this defense around. And you know, I think one of the big things and what a lot of people have been waiting on is that, you know, they were able to recruit a lot better when Alex Grinch took over and when this defense started making some strides. I mean, even going back to last year and the year before, if you look at the majority of their secondary, a lot of those guys are sitting at five, you know, five, nine, five, ten. I had a bunch of tiny defensive backs are finally getting more talent there. They're doing a lot of rotations this year. They have a lot of young players in the secondary. But as a whole, the defense has been very disappointing. I mean, you just have to watch that Texas game is, is one example for why, I mean, they not only have they taken a step back, they've taken multiple steps back. I mean, they had a pretty good defense last year overall, even for, you know, obviously for Big 12 standards, but is, you know, in college football as a whole, they had one of the better defenses in the league. 
But unfortunately, they sunk themselves with those two losses early. So I think really the prevailing thought right now for Oklahoma is this, right? They haven't lost a game. And that's that's huge for them moving forward because, you know, you start looking at some of these other teams, you know, especially you start looking at the top four, top five. Because Oklahoma's ranked, I want to say they're four and one and five and the other or three and four. I can't remember what it is. I the, A lot of these rankings, at least to me right now, they don't really mean a whole lot because obviously we, we haven't even got the first playoff ranking yet. But you know, when you look at it, you have, you know, the Big Ten, obviously, um, with uh, Iowa and then, you know, uh, Ohio State is going to be right there as well. But I mean, those two teams are probably going to end up meeting up in the in the Big Ten playoff game, I would assume. Uh, and then obviously the same thing with the SEC. So really, my thought process behind it is, and, you know, regardless of what the overall view of their uh, you know, strength of schedule and, you know, you know, value of win is at this point, if they cannot lose a game the rest of the year, which, I mean, they still have some tough games, but if they don't lose a game for the rest of the year, I don't see how they wouldn't be in the, you know, the playoff at this point. But again, you know, the prevailing thought is always to get through the first few weeks of the season under Lincoln Riley and things kind of turn around. The problem is, is we really haven't seen that happen yet. And I think that's going to be kind of a big thing, you know, they, they have a few interesting games coming up. Iowa State always gives them problems. You know, that's just going to be one of those things. Iowa State always gives them problems. Uh, you know, they barely got past Kansas State this last week. Uh, so, you know, that's another one that's going to, you know, that, that they were able to kind of check off. They have Oklahoma State on the schedule as well. I mean, there's still some interesting, interesting games, but at least from my personal perspective, I'm not sold that that Oklahoma is that good, but we'll see. Again, it's one of those things where Oklahoma has a tendency to look really, really off, and they look like they don't belong. And then all of a sudden, they get about halfway through that, halfway through the season, and all of a sudden they start playing a lot better football. I actually feel like personally, and this is you know, and not to say that they would have won it all last year because clearly Alabama would have beat the life out of them. But I do think that in terms of the teams over the last, I'd say, three or four years, they were probably playing the best football that I've seen them play as a whole, as a team, defensively, offensively, all that stuff to end last season. Um, you know, obviously they went in, they played Florida, and that wasn't really much of a game because half of Florida's, you know, offense ended up sitting out. But it's just kind of waiting on if things are going to click for them or not. I I want to believe that they are, but at the same time, there's just something telling me that because of all the questions that they have, offensively with the running backs, even, you know, even with getting back who they got, I mean, they still only have, again, they only have three scholarship running backs, you know, it's, it's their one injury away from having a serious issue there, which is what Lincoln Riley has been trying to avoid. They have a quarterback controversy and their offensive line still has a lot to get figured out. And again, defensively, I mean, the pass rush has been there at times, but at the same time, their, their secondary has not been good and their linebackers have been terrible. So they got a lot to get figured out, but uh, that's the one thing I will say about Oklahoma is they can flip a switch out of nowhere. So if they figure things out and, you know, they do what they've done the last few years, it wouldn't shock me at all to see them, you know, ended up running the table when the big 12 and, you know, if they go undefeated, obviously they'll, they'll be somewhere in the playoff. If they get into the playoff, I, I, you know, just looking at some of these other teams, it's the same thing every year, man. It's like, obviously Clemson's not going to be there, but Georgia looks outstanding. Alabama is going to be back. It's Alabama. Uh, you know, and whoever wins the Big Ten is probably going to be there as well. I, I just have a hard time seeing how Oklahoma is going to be better than any of those teams. So it'd probably be a one and done even if they got back to the playoff anyway. Yeah, I, I think one thing that will help them out when it comes to the chase down to the top four is that college football right now in the landscape right now, it is pretty as wide open as, as I think it's ever been um, over the last, I don't know, decade or so since Alabama's really gone into gear here as the dominant program. 
uh, in the landscape of college football. But, you know, we'll see what happens. Like we've, we've talked about a lot here, certainly a lot of intrigue and drama over there at Oklahoma right now with everything going on there. So, you know, we'll end up seeing what happens, but it should be exciting as we get to the second half of the season and things really start to get to uh, uh, really go to a crescendo here with uh, where we're going at with the season. All right, Aaron. So that's probably going to do it for us here. Um, at the Picks for Pace podcast today, talking about this Oklahoma team. Um, I know we share a lot of listeners here, obviously, at the Bearport with you and the Bearport podcast with Zach and whatnot. But, you know, for our listeners who may not be um, as in tune with your work, you know, where can they find your work and uh, where can they follow you on Twitter? Yeah, you can follow me at Aaron Lemming NFL on Twitter and then basically just thebearreport.com and, you know, Windy City Gridiron is where I do my, you know, I got two things every week that I do and that's that's pretty much about it, man. I just kind of stay, try to stay as low-key as possible, even though I always seem to rock the boat with uh, Cole Komet tweets and all the, all that fun stuff. But yeah, appreciate you guys having me on, man. It's always, it's always interesting to talk something other than just the bears, you know, cause I, I watch Oklahoma about as religiously as I do the bears, not nearly as big of a fan, but I do watch them as religiously. So it's always interesting to talk about something other than the bears on occasion for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Once again, you know, thanks for coming on the podcast today. Talk us, talk through us a little bit about, about some Oklahoma football and, you know, hopefully we get to see a bears win on Sunday is Packers week. So uh, definitely <laughs> going to be definitely a lot on the line this weekend uh, for both programs. It seems like. Absolutely. Yeah. That's let's I would, I would gladly take a bears win over an Oklahoma win though. Let's just put it that way, especially in Packers week. Uh, agreed hundred percent there. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger where you'll find over 30,000 mouthwatering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices. Plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so that was our interview and conversation with Aaron Lemming. A, a lot of great stuff there, you say, talking about this Oklahoma team. You know, specifically when it comes to breaking down Spencer Rattler, I thought Aaron did a nice job of breaking down what he's seen from him as an Oklahoma fan, uh, you know, coming into, you know, his starting position last year, some of the ups and downs he had last year, which we all saw from him as a prospect, you know, the inconsistencies that we thought he'd be able to smooth out a little bit this year hasn't been the case, and it sounds like, you know, you know, we'll see how things play out for the rest of the year, but it sounds like it's Caleb Williams job to lose at Oklahoma right now. And certainly that that's going to really shake up this draft going forward because Spencer Rattler for me, you know, myself included, but for a lot of uh, pundits and NFL scouts and draft Twitter types, Spencer Rattler was the guy for them, the number one quarterback going into this, this next year's draft. And uh, his status is really up in the air when we look at where he's going to be slated next year. It really is up in the air. And when you look at this, I think it's there was a rise with Spencer Rattler because everyone thought that he was an ascending prospect going into the year. I was certainly one of the ones that thought he could take the next step. And that's because when you look at Lincoln Riley's history of 
tutoring some of these quarterbacks. I mean, we're talking about Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, two guys who were basically transfers into Lincoln Riley's program, those guys being highly successful, going on to be number one overall picks. And I think that here's an underrated aspect that I don't think anyone talks enough about when it comes to Lincoln Riley is that I do think he's a phenomenal head coach. Sure, this year has been questionable, but his past has shown that he's phenomenal. And how many head coaches can say, hey, we've sent two number one overall picks to the NFL in back-to-back seasons. And then you look at the success that Jalen Hurts had. Now, I do want to remind people, I mean, three to four years ago, let's be honest, when Hertz was at Alabama, a lot of people thought that he was going to be the next big or the first big quarterback to legitimately come out of Alabama. And then he lost his starting job to a tag transfers to Norman, Oklahoma, and then has a pretty solid and successful career under Lincoln Riley. And I don't think Jalen Hurts is necessarily a terrible NFL quarterback by any means. He's obviously not that elite either. He's just shown right now that he's middle of the pack, but the pendulum from him can swing either way. And so for Spencer Rattler, it's just... It's a curious case of like what went wrong because this is another case of a highly touted quarterback prospect coming out of high school that has all the tools, the athleticism, the traits needed to certainly be a great college quarterback, but also be a really good NFL quarterback. But where it's gone wrong is just there seems to be a mental block and then also a block that's preventing Rattler from just putting it all together. And when I say mental block, I mean that what is is this with Rattler is that the decision-making is what is really holding him back right now from just being consistent overall. Yeah, certainly the decision-making and the mental aspect of things, that's, you know, because you see the flashes of brilliance from Rattler, the ability to make plays off script, the arm talent, just the natural ability. It's all there for him. You hope that he can figure it out. I'm not sure if it's going to be this year at Oklahoma I'm not sure if it's going to be somewhere else if he transfers and decides to wait another year uh, to enter the draft. But, you know, this was, this was a tough look for him, for Rattler. I still felt like if he would have, you know, kept up his, his level of play this year and finish up the year as a starter, that um, he still would have been a, a first-round pick in this upcoming draft because the talent is there and this, and this quarterback class is still iffy as is. But it's going to be murky for him going forward, and, and we'll just see what happens with him as this these next couple of months progress and you know it, it's just it's tough for him but it makes things more interesting for the draft moving forward because he was a guy that i think a lot of people had penciled in to be one of the guys early in this draft for the quarterback position myself included all right you say let, let's wrap up this podcast by talking a little bit about bears packers and previewing this game here uh so we're going to get to our predictions and x factors here Uh, You say, what is your prediction for this game and who's going to be the X factor for this Bears Packers game? First place is on the line here, by the way. Yeah, first place being on the line is certainly awesome. So I don't remember the last time first place was on the line this early in the season and kind of came down to Bears Packers. I also just am going to throw this out there is that the NFC North has shown us this year, it's pretty much going to be the Bears and Packers. The Vikings really haven't shown us anything. The Lions have battled hard, but they are 0 and 5. Ultimately, when I look at my predictions, you can be published on the Bear Report, by the way. I There's a couple things to note here. Number one, the Bears have a four-game losing streak against the Green Bay Packers. Matt Nagy's never actually beaten Matt LaFleur. The Bears are also 1-5 under Matt Nagy against the Packers. Now, Chicago certainly has this tough, gritty offense. They're going to be run first. They're going to claw and scratch their way, like I said at the intro, to 
wins, but I think that the Bears need to be physical in this game on both offense and defense if they're going to have a chance at winning. Now, the X factor here is certainly the secondary because Aaron Rodgers said this in his Packers press conference that some of us got to tune into is that the Bears have an improving secondary. And I agree, the Bears secondary has made a couple baby strides here and there. But the question is this, is are you going to be able to slow down one of the best wide receivers in the game in Devontae Adams? Are you going to be able to slow down what is a pretty solid tight end in Robert Tunyon? Because really, this Packers secondary, I'm sorry, this Bears secondary and this Packers aerial attack, I think that um, this Green Bay aerial attack is going to get clicking against a much weaker or an above average secondary. And so Chicago, you came out against Vegas and you really limited the big plays. All right. The question is, this is moving forward. Can you limit the big plays against green Bay to really warrant having a shot? Hey, Jalen Johnson, who's so eager to match up against Devontae Adams. Can you win a couple one-on-ones with Devontae Adams? Now, ultimately, here's what I think will happen is I think it's going to be Packers 31 bears 27. I understand there's a lot of optimism in the air regarding the bears. Well, let's be honest. I mean, that optimism is one because the bears lead the team in sacks Two Robert Quinn's having a great year and Khalil Max playing at an all pro level. The defense has a resurgence, but the biggest reason for optimism is because people feel like the D the offense has a chance with Justin Fields, but people also feel like with Bill Lazor calling plays and Matt Nagy basically being a game manager as a head coach, that things are on the rise. But my question is, is hey, the Bears, you can't run the ball 38, 39 times forever in a game. You're going to have to open it up eventually. So that means Justin Fields is going to have to throw more than 17 times or more than 20 times. So the reason I say Packers 31, Bears 27 is because I think that the Bears are going to hold on, but then Aaron Rodgers is going to strike again. Yeah, I'm going to similar score with you in this one. I, I have uh, the Packers winning this one uh, 33 and the Bears 24. So the Bears are going to score a little bit more in this game, I feel like. But like you kind of alluded to, I think this ba- this Packers team, uh, they just have with Aaron Rodgers and the running game that they have going, they're, they're supposed to get El- Elton Jenkins and Josh Myers back on that offensive line. So I think they're going to be stout there. Um, and that'll match. That'll be a great matchup, by the way, between uh, that offensive line, the Bears' defensive line. I mean, you talk about strength on strength. I know the Packers are banged up there, but they—they're the best in the NFL at developing and acquiring uh, offensive line talent. Um, so uh, that—that'll be a great matchup there. But I just think with Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams getting out to a hot start once again, especially Devontae Adams, that it's going to be too much for the secondary. You know, Kendall Vildor, he's struggled at times. A. Jackson hasn't been the same player. I do not trust Duke Shelley at all in the slot. Um, I know he's been a solid tackler for them, but I, I think Aaron Rodgers, he's going to know, he's going to know to avoid Jalen Johnson at all cost, And uh, that's going to be, that's going to be a wrap for uh, that, that bear secondary, unfortunately, you know, as far as my X factor, um, my X factor is going to be the bears offensive strategy because, you know, they've been going super run heavy uh, over these last two games with Justin Fields as a starter. Uh, it's almost like they don't want him to throw the ball at all. And when they do, it's usually off of play action or in a third and long situation where they have no choice but to throw the ball. And I just like them to be a lot more aggressive uh, and and try to get put Justin Fields in more opportune situations to where, you know, he, he is in more comfortable spots to throw the ball on early downs where he's been actually pretty efficient this year. So I would just like to see them have a different plan of attack and offense than just the run, run, pass formula. I know it worked for them against the Raiders and the Lions. But the Packers are a different animal here. I know they have injuries in the secondary. I know their defense hasn't been quite that good this year, and they have some injuries yet with Darius Smith out as well. So, um, you know, if there is an opportunity 
to steal a win against the Packers. This is it at home with, you know, the two game winning streak and, and things flying high for this team, but you know, it's a week to week league. I still think the Packers are, I don't, I don't know if they're a contender right now, especially in their current state with all the injuries they have, but I think they're a tier or two above this bears team currently. Um, and unfortunately I think the talent's going to win out and, uh, the Packers are going to win this one 33 to 24. So that's going to wrap it up for us here at the Picks for Face podcast. It was a fun episode to record this week. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Picks for Pace. Uh, you say to work on our listeners, find your work and follow you on social media. Yeah, guys, you can check out my work on the Bear Report. Follow me on Twitter at Usaid Koshal. Make sure you're interacting with me on the Bear Report forums as well. I'm always posting stuff on there, guys. Love to interact with you. And seriously, thank you so much, guys, for all the support you've given us for this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Make sure to give uh, Usaid a follow on social media and find uh, and follow some of his work as well. As for me, you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, at AJ Freeman's 25. You can find my work at the Bear Report. Just had my uh, tr- uh, tracking the trenches out for this week. I uh, had a lot of fun putting that together for that Raiders game. And then keep an eye out for, I, I think by the time this drops, that uh, uh, my next film review will be coming up shortly for this Bears Raiders games as Bears Raiders game as well. Going over, you know, some of the good, some of the bad, and and breaking down how Justin Fields did, you know, progressing from his Week Four game against the Lions to this Week Five game against the Raiders. So always have fun putting those together. If you're into film breakdowns and our YouTube channel, definitely go check that out and subscribe to us on YouTube. Uh, Once again, I want to thank our listeners for tuning in on all podcasting platforms. Uh, It's going to be a wild weekend. So hang on bears fans. It's bears Packers. It's as good as it gets for rivalries in the NFL and professional football. Um, So we're hoping to see a bears win and we'll see you next week. We're hopefully We're recording after the Bears get an upset here and take a hold of first place in the NFC North. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com